Hey everybody, it's Eric with IndieWire, and this week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Vimeo. This week you can watch a movie at vimeo.com slash IndieWire called Call Me Lucky, directed by the always entertaining Bobcat Goldway, and it's about this terrific stand-up comedian named Barry Crimmins who has a story you wouldn't believe the ups and downs this guy has gone through, and you can use the discount code ERIC15 to get a 15% discount, so head there and check it out and let me know what you think. We want to thank Vimeo for being our sponsor. Of course, they offer a very generous 90-10 revenue split for filmmakers. You can rent and buy subscription options for your audience and set your own price with promo codes and bonus features. There's that embeddable HD player with the purchase button, which means that people can watch your trailer and purchase your content anywhere on the web. In fact, you can use that promo code ERIC15 to watch Call Me Lucky on IndieWire in the IndieWire article because we've embedded it there. And look, if you use Vimeo Pro... And your stuff is on there. Who knows? You might wind up on another IndieWire podcast. But this time, promo's going to call me lucky. So go check that out and let me know what you think. But for now, on with the show. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief film critic. Joined, as always, from L.A., by uh, Thompson in Hollywoods, Anne Thompson. And uh, Anne, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking more and more about Oscar winners or possible Oscar winners. We'll have a whole list of possibilities. But today, we actually found out about some people who we already know are going to win because the uh, Governor's Award show has announced their honorary Oscars, which are going to Spike Lee and Gina Rollins. You couldn't ask for two different, more different kinds of people to receive those sort of things. But actually, it's, it's, it's really interesting because somebody like Spike Lee, while he kind of started his career getting a boost from the Oscars when he won a student one, you know, he's always had kind of a tempestuous relationship with the Academy. And it's, it's maybe not as weird as when Godard got one of these a couple of years back, but it's still, it, does, it, does it seem a little off to you? Well, mainly because he's only 58 years old. I mean, these these awards are designed to almost be life achievement awards. They're 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 designed to make up for the award that you didn't win in your own right during your career and and they Old tend to going to like older yeah. older people. So, you know, if you look at Lauren Bacall or or someone like um last year uh well, they also have the uh, Thalberg Award, which is sort of for the producer types, and they, you know it goes to people like George Lucas and and uh, uh, Francis Coppola, and and, and then and Warren Beatty, you know Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, but no Katzenberg got the Herschelt, so the Herschelt is the humanitarian award. There's and that too many of these. Someone like An- Angelina Jolie. Well, it means a lot in the industry. It has a lot of prestige. Now Harry Belafonte got got one last year, and 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 it was a very um, uh, the, Cheryl Boone Isaacs is the first African-American woman to, to run the Academy. You know, you can imagine that she's been pushing, you know, for Oprah. She's been pushing for a lot of, uh, you know, to sort of, um, I don't know, address the balance of, of the perception that the Academy is too white, too male, too old. And maybe Spike is part of that kind of, she's a, she's a press agent after all, Cheryl Boone Isaacs, maybe it's part of that kind of image uh, shift. Does he deserve it? Absolutely. Absolutely. He was robbed back in the day when he got a screenplay nomination for Do the Right Thing in 1989, but not uh, director. Uh, so he he really um, 
you know, has done an incredible body of work and totally deserves it. Uh, if, if anything, though, he's still in the category of someone who could go ahead and still earn it. Uh, you know, he's got plenty of good movies uh, left in him. Well, what's notable about Spike is the last few years, especially the way he's gravitated further and further away from Hollywood or even larger scale filmmaking projects. I mean, there was that old boy remake, which didn't go super well. But outside of that, I mean, you look at some of the no, stuff. No, he's back in the indies. He used to be, he used to be a real, he used to be a studio filmmaker. He used to work right. for Universal for quite a few years. And a lot of his most commercial films came with the backing of a major studio. And it's hard to imagine that they would, that that would happen again in recent years. He, I did an interview with him uh, recently this year, and he was talking about Tom Pollock and how he really was supported by him and how grateful he was. Um, so he has moved. I mean, the other do, uh, Oscar nomination that he got was was for uh, his documentary right. uh, Six, for Little the, Girls. Six Little Girls. For, right. Yeah. So so that's you know, and he's become very well known for his docs, including and it's been coming up lately his his seminal um, Louisiana hurricane. Uh, documentary as well. It's just, you know, Gina Rollins, I totally get in certain ways. I mean, one, it reminds people of this great actress who we don't see doing the same kind of roles that she was doing 30 years ago in a certain way. With Spike, I mean, I think you make a good point, which is at his stage of his career, it's almost like he's going through another kind of reinvention. I mean, maybe the opportunity to put him on stage and let him talk about that would be worthwhile. But, also uh, Kickstarter, you know, he's the he's he represents the, you know, social media friendly, you know, uh, new uh, uh, indie filmmaker. He's the he's the filmmaker with a brand. You know, he makes his living from commercials, by the way, well, <laughs> you I know, have to say, do whatever I, he wants. Sure. I mean, I was one of the we're few not worrying who, about Spike. So with respect to the kinds of movies that Spike Lee is making today, I think that it's sort of fascinating to see a filmmaker like that held up in regard by the Academy because in some ways he feel, he feels to me like somebody who just had such a bad experience working in the system and the movies that he's making are almost experimental by comparison. And I wonder if this kind of award might stimulate some sort of conversation about what that self-imposed exile really means for a filmmaker. And, and, and if the Academy is honoring this person, does it also stimulate a conversation about how to prevent that sort of thing from happening. Can we improve no, the system a little no, bit? No, 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 it, it, no. I mean, I'm having is, the conversation now, so. He is truly admired. He is truly respected. He's clearly not working inside the system anymore. The system has changed, and everybody who's part of the system understands that that's true. He's, he's in a strange position uh, as someone who's sort of revered as um, and respected um, for his accomplishments as a filmmaker. And you're right. I mean, he is in a more independent state now. He isn't able to necessarily get made because, but, but it's understood that the studios have changed. Sure, and, but I mean, what's interesting the about that is, is that it creates the impression that the Academy, this major institution in the commercial film world, is honoring somebody who sort of signifies how difficult it is to be that kind of a person in the studio system today. I, think that's, I agree with that, and I think that's going to keep happening. I think that, that, that it's, going to, it's going to keep um, 
that this that a lot of these filmmakers who were up for for an award like this year someone like Peter Weir or someone like Phil Kaufman I mean there's there you could you could the the list is long of really superior uh, film directors who have nothing worth doing inside the studio system, who can't get the stuff that they want to get made, made, or who are going to TV, as we've discussed infinitely. Um, you know, like Steven Soderbergh, someone like that. You know, I could imagine them giving an award, you know, 10 years from now, because he's still too young uh, to Steven Soderbergh, even though he's abandoned. <laughs> right. If he, if he continues to sort of him, you know? to continue this, this so-called retirement, he'll be right on track for a Lifetime Achievement Award in the next decade or so. Bettina but- Rollins and, uh, is very much in line with, with what they would, would ordinarily be doing, totally deserved, and I would say Debbie Reynolds interesting they're giving her the Herschelt for her for her charitable work um partly because they may not take her as seriously I don't know as an actress you know she's a comedian you know but she's a very uh beloved figure you know in any case it's something of an ironic contrast to the actual you know more traditional Oscar contenders who we'll be talking about more and more as the season picks up I mean one of the things that we're talking about here is is just filmmakers who are on one way or another, not necessarily able to do what they want to do with the resources that they need, but we're anticipating one filmmaker this season who seems like he's always doing that, which is Quentin Tarantino, and he was making headlines this week with this sprawling interview in New York Magazine as part of their fall preview for The Hateful Eight, which is a, a very movie. friendly interview, a it's very, great. A very soft lobbying interview um, but a lot of fun and he got it he got a few licks in he he was commenting on the kind of highbrow oscar contender that is represented by someone like kate blanchett and i have to assume there's some apology in the works there because he was (laughs) using her as an example he's working on carol so he was dissing, you know, he was, he, you know, I'm sure Harvey was not thrilled, you know, by that. Um, but but what's what's fascinating about about Tarantino is that he has resolutely refused to accept the Hollywood lure to do screenplays for the studios. He has refused. You know, he started out doing them. I mean, he did True, True Romance for Tony Scott, but then right. he went on to do his own thing. And he has... Um, taken his time, you know, made, you know, each movie count. He talks about only doing 10 or maybe more, but, but he even, you know, has said in the past that he would be willing to go to HBO if he had to. Yeah. You know, but I mean, who knows when what he gives up celluloid, you I know, guess. he's I still mean... doing celluloid, but seeing the footage in Comic-Con of the hateful eight in 70 millimeter there was a stunning experience and I cannot wait to see the whole thing. Well, but but I mean, Tarantino, he had an opportunity, which is addressed a little bit in this interview, to go sort of the the franchise route at one point. I mean, he passed on, I think it was Speed or something like that, a few other opportunities. And at this point, he has, if not complete autonomy, because of the sort of, you know, the scale that he works on, at least the ability to make these completely unbridled experiences that are just exactly the kind of movies he wants to make. But the funny thing is, to start talking about Hateful Eight now, it's such a strange process because this movie isn't done. I mean, he's he's talking to publications for their fall previews about something that 
he's still editing and could be editing up until who knows a week beforehand something like that yeah he may he may wait to the end but the the fact that he's doing press suggests to me um you know if you read the tea leaves on the weinstein co and and they're going through all these management changes and they're having you know they're they're going to lose their coo this guy david glasser they're 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 letting uh the the brain trust from radius go off and do their own thing you know presumably because they haven't been given the resources to do what they need to do on their own at, at weinstein you know uh they've they've got certain films that have been pushed back certain films that are going forward you, you know that they're not giving the full push to something like macbeth which they might have done in the past um so it, it just looks like a company where the hateful eight is carrying an enormous burden and has to do really well and yet it is a claustrophobic western set in one room right. i mean and, i'm sure the uh, 70 millimeter looks great but what exactly is it servicing when it's when we're talking about just a bunch of people talking for most of the running time i think mm. we can safely say that it's timely in the sense that the bruce stern character is playing a resolutely confederate apologist using the n-word and so forth mm. and um and you've got you know there's some timeliness in that in that regard um and the actors are going to love it because they're just having an actor fest in there you know I'm it's sure theatrical it'll be a good time i mean the thing about the way that tarantino's name is a brand whether he likes it or not but what it represents is i think people who a certain sensibility that that, that people who are excited by movies that really go for it that that are that are pushing to be entertaining in a, in a very particular spectrum of possibilities. You know the, the way in which he's playing off of certain genre traditions, but also writing his eccentric dialogue in a way that it, that is always leading somewhere. There's there's a sense that you'll get some kind of payoff, even if the movie isn't his best. And it was, it was something I found with Django as well, where it was sort of like there was so much build up, and who knew when he was going to finish it in time? And then you saw it. And, well, you know, it wasn't perfect. It went on too long. It had issues, but it was... It was self-indulgent in some ways, <laughs> especially the soundtrack. But now he's got Ennio Morricone doing the real thing. Right. And it's, it's a, it was still a lot of fun. I mean, I, I feel like it'll it'll be a nice sort of punctuation mark at the end of the year. I can't wait. And the pe- Absolutely. And the Academy adores him. You know, they really love him. They put... Tarantino isn't at the same level that someone like Scorsese is yet, but he's close. They revere him for his knowledge and for his just sheer uh, skill and, and bravado. And, um, and, and, if, and for lack of a better word, integrity. I mean, he represents something that very few people are, are able to to master in this world. And, and the truth is that Weinstein has made that possible. Harvey has been his artistic patron all these years. And, and so it's... System, it's yeah. It's true. And so we're sort of, you know, I'm sure Harvey will de- deliver the goods as much as he can on Carol as well. But we're looking at a, at a, at a, at a little bit of a fraught um, moment for the Weinstein Co., no matter what they say, just looking at it from, a, from, from the outside, you can see that they're undergoing some stresses and strains. Which is interesting because just a couple of years ago, I mean, they won Best Picture two years in a row. And before that, the Weinsteins kind of built this game. So what what does it take for a company like that to lose their kind of momentum at this time of the year? I mean, it seems like the studios maybe are starting to figure it out and, and beat a company like that at its own game because they can spend more well, money. The- 
Well, the Weinstein, it's not like that. It's not, that's not it. The Weinsteins left, they left Disney because they were having terrible rows, but they were full of themselves at that point. At least Harvey was. He was, he was wanting to expand and buy companies. He was full of beans. He, he was, he was, um, he, he was, he was full of a lot of ambition and, and they weren't willing, Disney didn't need him to do all of those things. And eventually they fell apart. They went on their own. But when you're on your own, you don't have the same resources and infrastructure. And they were doing a lot of spending, a lot of throwing money around in lots of extraneous areas with this, you know, ambition that they had. And they had to pull back. They have a backer who's been very controlling and making them pull back and, uh, you know, get back to the to the game that they're that they're really good at. But the model has changed and they were right to be experimenting with radius. And the truth is, is that the box office for the summer has been very good for studios like Universal, especially, which has been on an amazing role. But the, the indies haven't done well this summer at all. And it's it's really a challenge right now to figure out the right way to, you know, at what level of financing and, and, and what level of marketing and whether you go VOD or not VOD, you know, it is all very challenging. Roadside had a good summer, but um, it's not easy right now. And that's what the, that's, I think, where the Weinsteins are, are kind of, you know, in the weeds. Sure, it's about they're, the they're finances. Not, yeah, and they're not killing it at the box office. A lot of people aren't killing it at the box office. But, but isn't there something to be said for just in, in, with respect to award season, the incredible amount of money that people spend on these campaigns? I mean, Universal has Steve Jobs, which has been a major best picture contender already for months now, just the way that it's been in the conversation. And there hasn't been that sense of a Weinstein campaign. Carol, could, Carol, Carol is, is one. such a, I, I love that movie. But. Spend, they spend with the best of them. I mean, they, I, I would suggest to you that they're going to be harboring their money, you know, in order to use it on um, these specific films that are going to be there. The, they've obviously taken uh, the chef, movie and put it into a non-awards track mm -hmm. as they basically did with Vincent last year yeah. what's it called burnt now yep, um, burnt. and then and then uh, you know they're they're obviously uh, they understood that Southpaw was going to come out in the summer and not be you know they, they knew they, they're, they're smart they're they're doing it right it's just um, a question of, I mean if they may be pulling in this guy from uh, Cooley Tucker, you know, um, Tucker, oh, <laughs> I'm going to get his name wrong. Tucker Pooley, uh, from, from relativity and bring, and bring him in, uh, to take over for David Glasser. They're not down and out. They're just rejiggering and, and trying to be efficient about how they spend their money. Well, that, that's a, that's a very delicate way of putting a situation. We don't know how it'll shake down in the next couple of weeks, but they're certainly not the first one to send out an award screener. That happened already with this, uh, Blythe Danner movie, I'll See You in My Dreams, a few days ago. Something we should talk Which, about. Which, by the way, is the new company on the block, Bleecker. So they're getting out ahead. That's a movie that came out much earlier and, and did well, did very well with the older demo. And they're going to try to make sure that people see it before the onslaught. So that's a smart move. It's but usually Sony that sends out the Exactly. First. I was wondering what was going on there. I mean, they should have been pushing Diary of a Teenage Girl a while ago. Now that My guess is that they've probably abandoned ship on that because uh. if it do well at the box office then there was absolutely no 
no hope uh, there. I've, I've actually taken it off all of my... I, I left Belle Pally in as a long shot and, and the mm-hmm. supporting actress, uh, Kristen Wiig and Alexander Sarsgaard, because they give incredible performances and I hope everybody sees it. They'll send, they'll send a screener out, I hope. So, all this talk of, of movies showing up in award season that weren't necessarily a big part of the conversation before, it's just a good reminder that things can keep changing rather quickly. I mean, Telluride is right around the corner and we don't even know exactly what's in that lineup, but there's movies that we can expect to see in the next couple of weeks that will end up changing our conversation significantly. I mean, let's not forget about Spotlight, the Tom McCarthy movie, which is said to be this very mature uh, well-scripted drama about this, uh, that's Boston one of the ones Globe. I'm most excited about yeah. because it's a Telluride partly I that's what they're saying I think <laughs> we'll see and then the Danish girl of course they just released a poster I mean that one it looks like Oscar bait but it could it could deliver I mean it's easy to sort of shrug this stuff off when you don't really know AFI Fest today announced their opening night film which is by the sea and AFI Fest is, tends to be in the award season conversation in one way or another. I mean, last year they had Selma, an American sniper, in a 24-hour period. So By the Sea is not a movie that has really been discussed, I think, in, in, in big terms, although certainly Angelina Jolie as a filmmaker has been making some notable advancements in her career with with last year's unbroken i mean she's got something promising because it looks like a very intense sort of actor fest like a like a marital drama and the question is whether audiences want to see angelina jolie and brad pitt who after all met in a marital drama uh, uh, actioner obviously mr and mrs smith on their first another relationship uh, go around yeah so so i think i think it's actually i'm really i'm actually more interested in this than i was in in unbroken i i think this could be really fun to to watch and they've got a whole set something big and this seems like a much more contained sort of experience it's boiling it down to the essence of what we like from these two actors and of course plays off our relationship to their real life uh dynamic on some level it has to so i mean it's just it's the two of them sort of trying to repair a broken romance of some sort as far as i understand it in a nice little vacation environment with a lot of europeans and sort of cool european actors so it should be fun i'm excited about it and uh as you say american sniper and selma went on to best picture nominations last year so you know afi does have a track record uh to uh you know of late entries coming in and getting some festival play right before they open and Angelina Jolie may not be Tarantino, but I think people like her, too. I mean, she did win an Oscar as well, so there's that going for her. As an actor, yeah. As an actor. Yeah. And she's she's an actor in this, so not not just a director. Then another another movie that people have been talking about for a while, which it's not that it hasn't been seen, it's more just that it was seen pretty early this year and then went away for a while and it's going to start circling back, is Brooklyn, which was at Sundance this year and was picked up by Fox Searchlight. And it got a pretty good reaction then, but now it's going to start coming back in the fall circuit. And it's it's one of those more kind of old-fashioned period pieces, but in some ways maybe that's the slot that it's going to fill in the coming months. It's it's an interesting question. I just saw it yesterday, and um, 
I had gotten mixed reaction from various people that I talked to at Sundance, which is one of the reasons why I missed it, even though I like John Crowley's work quite a bit. And uh, uh, everything is, is good about it, except that it's in many ways a very conventional period um, drama, and it's a romantic drama. Sir Ronan is very good. Donald Gleason is very good um, in a supporting role. Um, and um, and uh, Julie Walters absolutely steals it, you know, offering some. So she plays the sort of rooming house uh, doyenne in in Brooklyn. Um, it it it's a, it's a, it made me cry. I was very moved by it. It's very beautiful. Uh, it tells a good, uh, strong immigrant story, and in, in a way uh, better than than I think James Gray did with with the immigrant, but. Um, I actually think uh, this is going to depend on critical response, and I'm afraid uh, they won't all be unanimous on this. They'll be respectful without being 100 percent jumping up and down. That's my guess. It depends on the competition. I mean, Fox Searchlight knows what they're doing. But they also have all kinds of different stuff to play around with. I mean, they've got that, youth, which I think is actually yeah. going to do really well, well especially Michael for Kane Michael Caine. Yeah, I don't care yeah. What the people say. I mean, it, he is. He'll get on. I'm, I'm confident. You and I are right. <laughs> well, let's keep pushing for that one. I mean, I'm, I'm really curious to see how that one gets reintroduced. That's another one that was a can. So there's a couple of things that, that even though we, we've had a chance to talk about them a little bit before, they're going to kind of cycle back and, and, and re-enter the conversation in different sorts of ways. But uh, it's really going to depend on, I think, how cluttered things get. You know, there's just so many different things coming our way all at once through all these festivals and, and through different kinds of release dates. And it's just crazy to think that we won't see everything for another two months at least. And it may be that the best stuff, as usual, is stacked at the end. And I also think that the best stuff is probably stacked at Venice and Telluride more than Toronto. And I will see how those Toronto movies come out. Remember last year, only Theory of Everything really broke at Toronto as a major Oscar film. That's true. I mean, the the most exciting film that I saw in, in Toronto last year and that was somewhat bigger was Phoenix. It's not eligible mm-hmm. because it was eligible last year. Oh, it's sort of a right. complicated they thing. Right. So the German that. entry is Labyrinth of Lies, which was announced today. Um, and uh, that looks like a very strong one. That's a Sony Pictures Classics one. Uh, it's about uh, the guy who ran, uh, a young guy who fought to put the uh, Nazi criminals on trial after World War II. Well, it never hurts to play the Nazi card in award season. That's they've got sure. Son of Saul, too. Yeah. So, you know, they've got, they, they, they always have multiple entries on the foreign side. That's right. that's normal. In any case, if, if Toronto is the place for the foreign language stuff and, and that's what will come out there. And the other things, I mean, that, that almost feels more balanced in some ways than trying to duplicate it. But that's They're we, making Toronto into more of a market. I think that's what the TV uh, section is about. I think that's what the platform section is about. It, I think they're trying to maximize its its acquisitions climate there. That's That seems to be part of what's going on. So all this talk of Toronto and, and, and Venice and Telluride and, and award season, is the one thing that always bugs me about it is that we, it moves us away from talking about movies that are actually opening, and there's plenty of them that we've seen and actually like. So maybe we should just close out by singling out at least one of them. There's Z for Zachariah, which was also at Sundance earlier this year, and it is opening this week. A very gentle uh, 
three-hander of sorts, a post-apocalyptic love story directed by Craig Zobo with Chiwetel Ejiofor and uh, Chris, Chris Pine. Pine. Both and Margot Robbie. He's hankering for her affections over the course of, of this story, which I found, I, I have to say, I mean, I, I didn't really know quite what to expect. Director Craig Zobel's been this interesting guy who's made, he made Compliance and he made Great World of Sound, and none of those movies are alike. And this one almost feels a little Terrence Malicky in certain ways, but not in a, not in a bad way, not in an imitative way. It felt like a very, it's, it's a very gentle, textured story about certain kinds of impulses in a very sort of minimalist setting, which maybe helps set the stage for the hateful eight. I don't know yet, but I uh, feel like it's, I feel like that, that your your description of the movie is, is very accurate, but I I would say that's the problem with the movie. It's too tasteful. It's too restrained. It's too, I talked to Zobel and and over the course of my conversation with him, I I got the sense that this was a a project where there were many cooks and he's an example of a, of a, of an indie filmmaker who's moving from a small, small micro budget universe into a somewhat large, larger one working with movie stars for the right. first larger. time. And, and, and I think that, that he, he, I think they kind of ran away with him a little bit, you know, and he kind of, you know, they, why wouldn't Margot Robbie be, be sexy? Why, why wouldn't there be some sexual uh, contact, you know, with, with these, with these, with these, you know, these three characters, you know, there, there's something very, um, it, 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 it almost doesn't get to, it's almost very thoughtful without really digging into the, the true uh, grid of, of, of what the story was about. I guess that's sort of what I responded to. Uh, we were talking about Phoenix briefly before, and, and that's another movie where there, there there are so many ambiguities in terms of the relationships with, between different people. And this isn't on that level, and I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I do I do find that there are there are a lot of elements to it that are up for debate about exactly how these people relate to each other and what their motives are. And that's kind of exciting in some ways because a lot of American cinema is just so pat, so clean. All the meaning is, is right there in front of you. And certainly- yeah, but you don't want to fall asleep while you're watching it. You know, you you, you don't want it to be so so tasteful that it's dull. Oh, um, whatever. You fell asleep it, during Ant Man, so I did. Yeah, I did. Now the the, the I have to, that's going to haunt me for the rest of my of my days. Um, basically, uh, I would say though the nice news out of Z for Zachariah is that Margot Robbie is revealed as a terrific actress. I mean, we might have. Thought so in, in once in in under the the tutelage of Martin Scorsese and Wolf of Wall Street, but now we know, and and she's getting lots of good good jobs sure, coming it's, up. It's a much more we'll see more of her. Yeah, exactly. and it's not just about being a a beautiful woman either. So yeah, she she's got some 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 sauce to her. Sure, and then the other uh, the other movie is Second Mother, which right. um, which I saw in, in Sarajevo and and uh, highly recommend because it's um, written and directed. It's a project that's been in the mind of uh, a Brazilian director Ana Moilat for twenty years and stars the great uh, sort of opera of Brazil, Regina Casse, and this young discovery who, who plays her daughter who comes to she's a domestic for a wealthy family in Sao Paulo and her daughter disrupts everything when she comes and it's about the class system and it's about the rules that we think we need to live by and and maybe those rules aren't so so good and and it just it's just a fabulous movie very entertaining and thought-provoking i highly recommend it and it's maybe brazil's oscar submission we think it's the leading contender 
So even when we try to talk about new releases, we still get pulled back into Oscar season. We get pulled back in. <laughs> it's inescapable. So next week we'll be on the brink of Telluride. We'll probably be adjusting to the altitude the next time you hear from us. So What day do you travel, Eric? <laughs> I'm uh, heading in on Thursday. So Me too. That's nice my travel trip. day also. We'll, we'll gather everybody in the, uh, in the saloon after hours to, to gather some gossip. And, uh, and we'll share it next week. You got it. See you there. Some of these old days, Mama. Some of these old sad, lonely nights. Some of these old...